Open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, James 1, 22 to 25 this morning. The sermon is called, Do the Word. Do the Word. James 1, 22 to 25. Do you have a mirror in your bathroom at your house? You're weird. We didn't have them for a while when we remodeled, and it was just, it was odd. You'd go in and you'd, you'd miss it. Why? Why do, you, why do most people have mirrors in their bathrooms? Is it because you love to look at yourself? Is it because you love to gaze on your own beauty? To lock eyes with yourself and get lost in your own eyes? Uh, it's probably more so that you can see how you look to others right so that you can present yourself well so that while you're in the bathroom getting ready for the day you can prepare yourself to love others by not looking like a mess so that you can show people that you care about them and take them seriously enough to put your hair in order a little bit and wipe away some food crumbs and other less seemly things If you're a woman, maybe to apply makeup. If you're a man, maybe to shave and trim your beard. These are all good and fine things. Mirrors are a blessing to us to help us with this, to just look and check and make sure we look presentable. There's not something embarrassing smeared across our face. And God invented mirrors, and in some ways he did this as a metaphor for the Bible. And that's James's controlling metaphor in our passage this morning, The controlling metaphor of the passage is that reading the Bible and hearing the Bible is like looking in a mirror. So how is the Bible like a mirror? What's the comparison? What are we supposed to see here? The Bible, like a mirror, shows you yourself. One of the things I've found most convincing about the Bible Over the years, one of the things I love about the Bible is that as I read the Bible, the Bible reads me. It understands me better than I understand myself. The more I read and meditate on the scripture, the more I apply it to my life and the world, the more I see this, that the Bible knows and understands me. The Bible says things to me and about me that my flesh doesn't really even want to admit, but that in my most honest moments, I know is actually true, inescapably so. The Bible tells me that apart from Christ, I am fallen in sin, that I am wickedly rebellious against God, that I am self-deceived, proud, stubborn, given to appetites. It also tells me things that I wouldn't dare to believe about myself, that I'm created in God's image, made and formed out of dirt and God's breath, redeemed in Christ, dearly beloved by God, despite my rebellion, despite my sin and wickedness. Declared righteous in Christ, born again, called a saint, a holy one, by God himself. Freed from the power of sin, beloved by God. 
And all these things we learn from God's word as it reads us, as it tells us who we are. But it's funny that we can't look at our own faces, isn't it? That we need mirrors. It's funny that you can't see your own face. You can look at most of your own body and see what's there, but you can't look at your own face no matter how quick you try to turn, no matter how cross-eyed you go. You can't see your own face. You have to have a mirror, a picture of yourself in order to even see what the main part of yourself is projecting to everybody else. And I think in some ways it's the same with our hearts. You can see a lot of yourself, but there are things about you that are hidden even to you. They're plain to everybody around you, but hidden from you. We might not like to admit that, but we can see that about other people more clearly. That Sometimes people seem blissfully unaware of their own idiosyncrasies, don't they? They, not me. Some, some people seem completely in the dark about how they're coming across to others. Like all of us, unable to see our own faces. But thankfully, God gives us a mirror for our heart in the scriptures so that we can see who we are, so that we can know who we are. The scripture shows you who you are because it shows you how God sees you. It's somewhat important how other people see you. But other people even often have distorted vision. Planks in their eyes that keep them from seeing the speck that's in your eye so they can help you with it. But it's not so with God. God sees you perfectly. He sees you all the way through. All the way down to the thoughts and intents of your heart. He sees you better than the closest people in your life see you. He sees you better even than you see yourself. And so we see how important it is to know the Bible well, to stand in front of the mirror that is the word of God and let it show us who we are in ways that we're ourselves not willing to see and even others can't see all the way. To read the Bible thoroughly and over and over again throughout our lives, to be daily in the word of God because as you grow and change, the Bible will reveal different things in you because it's, It's not just, I read through the Bible once, it kind of showed me who I am, and now I'm going on my merry way. But as I grow and change, and hopefully I'm shedding sins and revealing others that are deeper down, the Bible is showing me new things and reflecting new things that are going on in my heart. We read it daily. We check in on ourselves as we read God's Word. And we want those things revealed so that we can know who we are and address what needs to be addressed. We also just need to be reminded of the foundational truths of who we are by the Bible because we're bombarded with messages and lies to the contrary, aren't we? The Bible tells us who we really are, but not only are we kind of unwilling to believe it and sometimes confused, but the world is also regularly telling us lies about who we are, who we truly are. We're constantly told that we're just fundamentally a meaningless accident of matter randomly bouncing off of other matter. But the Bible tells you that you're fearfully and wonderfully created in the image of the personal God with a divine design and mission. We need to be reminded of that. You're also constantly told, aren't you, that you're just fine the way you are. You're perfect. 
But the Bible tells you that you have a deadly problem with sin that sets you at enmity with your creator. And will lead to your destruction at God's just hand unless you turn to Christ to have it dealt with in his mercy. You're also constantly told that you are who you are. That you can take a personality test and it will tell you who you are and you could never change that because it's just the way I am. But the Bible says you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can get a new heart from God and learn to be good and righteous and to repent and change and be remade in the image of God. And that one day you can transcend death in the resurrection and live in paradise forever. There's so much that the Bible reveals about who we are that we need to be reminded regularly about what it says. We need to look into the mirror of God's word constantly and see what it says about us. So let's do that as we look at James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen? So the the previous section was about hearing the word, right? Be slow to speak and quick to listen, to receive with meekness the implanted word. And this starts with a but, not because listening to the word is bad, but because it's not enough to just hear the word. You're called to be not hearers only, but to be doers of the word. Not hearers only deceiving yourself. So this, the first thing, is just the exhortation to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We're instructed in wisdom. We're commanded by God to not be word hearers only. Hearing is crucial. We talked about this all last Sunday. This is where it all begins. If you don't begin by hearing God's word with faith, you won't get anywhere. But hearing is not the whole picture. If the ground doesn't receive the seed, the seed can't grow into a plant and make wonderful fruit for God's enjoyment. But just getting the seed into the ground isn't the whole story. It's not the end of the line, the ultimate goal. Imagine somebody who put a seed in the ground and then said, all right, done. Wouldn't be a very good farmer. That's what James is warning us about. It's crucial to get the seed into the soil. It's absolutely crucial. If you don't do that, nothing else is going to happen, but it's not the last step. That's not everything. So James had been talking about this, receive the implanted word, this farming metaphor, and now he changes the metaphor to the mirror of God's word in order to get our attention again. So imagine a guy who looks in the mirror, you wake up in the morning, goes and looks in the mirror, And then immediately goes away and forgets what he looked like. And forgets what he saw. James has us imagine a guy who not only glances at the mirror, but looks at it intently. See what it says in verse 23. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He's studying his look in the mirror. And then he leaves and immediately forgets what he saw. He's up close, checking carefully looking distinctly, examining himself. Then he walks away without doing anything. 
Maybe he sees some food on his face as he studies the mirror. Oh, look, there's a glob of peanut butter there. But doesn't wipe it off. It just walks away. Maybe there's a wild hair going astray. And he doesn't smooth it down. Maybe his buttons are misbuttoned, you know, and you've got one wrong and the rest of them followed. But then he doesn't fix them. He's got goobers in his eyes and he doesn't wipe them away. What do you think about this guy? He's crazy. Studying intently in the mirror, trying to understand what he looks like, and then doesn't do anything about it. You are the man. If you, don't, if you read the word, you hear sermons, you study, but then you don't apply that to your actual life. If you do that, you're as crazy as this guy staring intently in the mirror and then walking off without fixing anything. James says that if you hear the word and don't do it, you are self-deceived. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because learning a bunch of stuff, hearing a really good sermon makes you feel like you've done something, doesn't it? It's very easy, especially for young people. Young people, hear me, when your vocation is learning and taking stuff in, storing up wisdom and seeking knowledge, it's really easy, especially for young people, but not exclusively for young people, to get a bunch of teaching and information and then think that that equals maturity. But it doesn't. Not automatically. You can know a bunch of theology, a bunch of good theology. You can know a bunch of the Bible. You can do Matt Hurt's crazy Bible reading plan and read the whole Bible in six weeks or seven. What is it? Seven weeks. What a wonderful thing to do. But you could get all that in, but if you aren't transformed by it, what good does it do you? If you don't live in light of it. You could learn a bunch of logic and you could be able to spot every logical fallacy as soon as it comes up and then assume that that will automatically work its way out to your maturity. But that's a serious mistake. What James tells us is that it's not automatic. Paul talks about people who are always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You can be always learning, always stocking up information in your brain, but not coming to a true knowledge of the truth. Look at what he says in 2 Timothy 3. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men.
There are people who have the appearance of godliness, go to church, have all the right lingo, but deny its power in their lives. People who are not transformed by the truth to sacrificially love others, to grow in godliness. You're told to avoid them. You most certainly don't want to be them. They love to creep into households and capture weak women who are burdened with sin and led by their passions, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And be careful, because today those people have paved highways into your house, in your pocket, via your phone. Podcasts and blogs and books. Be careful that you're not burdened with sin, led by your passions and how you feel, filling your head with knowledge, but never arriving at mature knowledge of the truth that works its way out in your life in what accords with sound doctrine. As I said, kids can be particularly in danger of this because you're in a time of learning. Kids and students, be especially careful of this. Your parents are laboring to provide you with a Christian education, to teach you a solid foundation, give you a Christian worldview, and this is good and important and crucial, but it's not enough. Don't just look in the mirror and then go away and forget. Don't be proud of how much you know. You have lots of information, which is good. Now apply it to your life every day and over the long haul. You have to grow in obedience in being doers of the word and not just hearers only. Think about a person who studies topo maps of somewhere they want to go and they just know all the lines and they could, they could reconstruct the map from memory for you and that's a really good start. But if they haven't set foot on the actual ground, they don't know as much as they think they know. A person could write a doctoral dissertation on love And still know less about love than a young mother who's daily and nightly giving her life away for her child with joy as a sacrifice to God. Some people love endless speculation on ideas and lofty sounding things while neglecting the basic Christian duties. This, James says, is self-deception and folly. You might have the most thorough Christian worldview understanding of anyone you know, but if you don't behave like a Christian in every area of life, you are self-deceived. We know it, we believe it, and we live it, abounding in the fruits of the Spirit, delighting in God from the heart, loving our brothers and sisters. This is what James calls us to. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be Doers of the word. Be doers of the word. Don't just know a bunch of stuff, but know what life lived in light of that stuff looks like. There's a specific kind of life that accords with sound doctrine. Right down into the details of your actual daily life. It's not, Christianity is not floating a thousand feet above the ground in just lofty ideas. There's sound doctrine, and then there's a life that accords with sound doctrine in your circumstances each day. And the Bible actually gets quite specific about what a life that accords with sound doctrine looks like. 
So let's spend some time meditating on what it looks like to be doers of the word, to have sound doctrine, and then to live in accord with sound doctrine. And so framing it that way makes us think immediately of Titus chapter 2. I've often been surprised by Titus chapter 2 when he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And I think, oh, sound doctrine. This is, this is my bag. I love doctrine. Okay? So we're going to get into justification, sanctification, glorification, all the occasions. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Supralapsarianism versus that silly old infralapsarianism. Right? <laughs> As for you, and doctrine is crucial, it's foundational, it's, it's important, but it's not everything. Listen to what Titus says, what Paul says in Titus 2. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here it comes. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is what accords with sound doctrine. This is what it looks like when you live, when you are a doer of the word, in addition to a hearer. Men. Notice it's different for men and women. Men, be serious and sober-minded. Carry yourself with godly dignity and self-control such that every part of your life could be an example to others, that you could say like Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be serious and sober-minded. Don't get drunk. Don't be silly. Don't be lazy. Work hard and provide and protect and love your family. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith. Be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Know the scriptures by all means. Be sound in the faith. Know the doctrines. Understand, you should know the difference between justification and sanctification. Know the scriptures. Be sound in the faith. Know good doctrine. Make sure your family is deeply rooted in it. And then walk in God's commandments. Be sound in love. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Sacrifice for others. Show up thinking about what other people need more than what you need. Don't squander your life playing games. Men, lead your homes. Be sound in steadfastness. Men, be the anchor. Be sound in steadfastness and endurance. Be a wall that absorbs the winds of the world without wavering. 
Don't always be pinging back and forth on everything, but get on the track of faithfulness and endure. Be sound in steadfastness. Don't move from crisis to crisis, but be steadfast. And if you lack these things, don't try to lead and judge others, but show up humbly to be trained in doing the word in the life that accords with sound doctrine. Women, be reverent in behavior. Don't be crass and loose. Be reverent in your behavior. Fear God. And don't worry about what the latest mom blog or group of women says you have to do and be. Fear God. Don't be slanderers. Don't go around smearing others, gossiping, busybodying in other people's lives. Don't go around saying everything you don't like about everyone. Be doers of the word. Don't be a slave to much wine. Enjoy wine, but don't need it. Don't be a slave to much wine. If you feel like you need wine, take a break from it for a month and learn to rely on God. Is he enough for you? Don't drink until you get silly. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Older women, teach the younger women what is good with your actions, your life, and your words. It's not necessarily a Bible study, is it? It might involve some Bible study. Older women, likewise, would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. If you still have your own kids at home and you're busy managing the household and educating them, you won't have a lot of time to go sit for long hours at the coffee shop. That's okay. That's because you're doing the word. Look for opportunities to invite younger women over to your house to help with the kids, to help with the household. Model your way of life for them and explain it to them as you go. It's learning lab. Be doers of the word. If you don't have kids in the house or you have a situation where you find you have empty hours, then maybe you go to the house of a young mom and help her love her kids and keep the home and talk about it as you go. And as you do those things, what are you supposed to be teaching and modeling? What should be the aim? Train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This shows you older women what you're aiming at and cultivating in the younger women as you're teaching them, and then it also shows us what younger women are to set their aim for. Young women are to be trained to love their husbands and their children. Do the word. Serve your family. Respect your husband. Do him good all the days of your life. Care for the children. Meet their needs. Train them to be godly. How often do these kind of meetings devolve into complaining about husbands and children? And then empathizing with each other in that complaining. Complaining. 
but rather they're to teach the young women to love their husbands and their children. Young women are to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, not indulgent, not run by their emotions and their feelings, but self-controlled. Young women are to be pure, upright, modest, not parading your body on the streets or on the internet, not giving your love and your affection and your heart and your beauty to strangers, but guarding it to give to your husband. Working at home, it says. Laboring to make the home a wonderful place of life and warmth. How terribly narrow to give yourself to the household, the foundation of civilization in the center of the good life. Be kind, cultivate a gentle and a quiet spirit which is pleasing in the sight of God. Be submissive to your own husband that the word of God may not be reviled. Don't be rebellious and headstrong. Don't be a feminist. That would lead to reviling of the word of God. This brings us to young men. This is what accords with sound doctrine. Young men, be self-controlled, it says. Don't just run wild. Young men, you're packed up with energy. Control it. Don't be given to anger. Don't be given to impulsiveness. Don't be given to lust. Learn to rule your spirit. Get help from older men to do so. Young men, be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Young men, you're growing up into leaders who need to demonstrate good works with your life. So you need to model good works. Not fake piety but genuine character all the way down, from the heart out, even when nobody's looking. Model good character. Think about and treat women with honor and love for them, with respect. Don't play around with them or mistreat them. Don't be harsh with them or abuse them. Young men, work hard. Don't be lazy. Be diligent, be good, be strong, be faithful, be loyal, have steadfast love, be courageous, be joyful. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Say what's true. Teach others, disciple the nations, be bold with the truth. Teach with integrity thoughts that don't contradict one another and which you live by. Don't merely be hearers and repeaters of the word, but doers, having integrity between your life and your speech and your teaching. Teach with dignity. Don't be embarrassed by God and his word. Be confident in everything the word says. Be confident in Christ Jesus 
and say what's true with all boldness. Don't be boastful, braggarts, brash, empty talkers, liars, shirkers of responsibility, smarmy, trying to keep everybody happy but not really saying what's true and being willing to face the consequences of what you say. Be dignified. Be men of God. Don't give cause to the enemy to speak evil about us because of your hypocrisy or emptiness. This is a summary of what accords with sound doctrine. This is what it looks like when you are a hearer and a doer and not self-deceived. Isn't that good stuff? Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let's look at verse 25 now. Look, persevere, and act. This is what James calls you to. Look, persevere, and act. The word for look here literally means to bend down to look at something. The one who looks into the perfect law to bend down and examine something. See, it's not just about glancing at God's word. Just kind of looking at it and passing. Stop. Bend down and examine God's word. Read it and meditate on it. Come and hear teaching on God's word regularly. So you look and then you persevere. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. It means to remain with something. Don't just stop and bend down and look for a second, but sit with God's word. Remain with it. Persevere with God's word. Examine it. Study it. Think about how it applies to your life. What its implications are for you. And then act on it. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It says, be a doer who acts. A doer who works. Don't just do, but be a doer of God's word. Be a person of action. Be a person who applies God's word regularly and work Hear and understand and then get busy putting it into practice in your life. It's worth noting how James refers to God's word here. He calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. See, law is not a bad word. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can't be justified by keeping the law. It's really important. It's one of those doctrines that you need to know and understand. You can't be made right with God through your perfect law keeping. The law of the old covenant is fulfilled in Christ. But none of this means that law is bad or has no use for you as a Christian. The law is abounding in usefulness for you. 
This really shouldn't be that complicated, but people get hung up on this regularly. But Paul outlines it all very clearly many times, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9.20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, that's the law of Moses, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Paul, as a New Covenant believer, was not under the law of Moses himself. But he could go under it in order to evangelize Jewish people. Then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. So does Paul have no law? No, he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. We're not under the law of Moses, the law of Israel, though that law is profitable to teach us about who God is and what justice looks like. But we are under the law of Christ. I believe that's what James calls the perfect law. The word for perfect refers, it's the word for telos, you know, the goal, the, the, the mature version of a thing, a thing at its goal. This is the perfect law, the law of Christ the completion of all God's commands, the summary of all of it in the person of Christ and in his commands. James calls it the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Because the way of Christ is the way to be free, to walk in his commands is the path of freedom. It's not that we're justified by keeping the law of Christ. We're justified by Jesus' righteousness accounted to us apart from the law. But we have a law. We have a law, and we are commanded to obey the law of Christ. And it's a blessing to us. It's freedom as we obey the law of Christ. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is blessing for obedience in the new covenant. Do you see that right there? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God blesses obedience in the new covenant. There's just, it's just plainly stated by James here. The one who looks at the law of liberty and works will be blessed in his doing. We need to be careful theologically here. This is a place you could go bad wrong. We're not justified by obedience. We don't obtain all the blessing of the covenant with our obedience that came through the obedience of Christ imputed to us by faith alone. Don't mess that up. We're going to look at it for a second because it's really important we don't get this wrong. Galatians 3.8 the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We're asking the question, how do you get blessing from God? How do you get blessing from God? By faith, by hearing with faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That's the opposite of being blessed. For it is written, Cursed be everything, everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing promised to Abraham does not come by obedience to the law. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Christ took our curse for us on the cross so that the blessing of Abraham would come to us. That's the blessing God promised. In you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. This comes by his doing, not by ours. So why does James then say that the doer of the law of liberty will be blessed in his doing? Because having received the covenant blessings in Christ, having been justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law, and having been given the Holy Spirit by faith, and now in the process of being perfected in the same way in which we received the Spirit, by hearing with faith, Within that whole reality, God is kind to give us extra blessing in our obedience. There's no other way to read what James is saying here. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When you walk in God's commandments... When you keep the laws of Christ, you will be blessed in your doing. Isn't it a blessing when you obey God? Isn't it a delight to keep God's ways? Isn't it a blessing to do what's good? Doesn't God smile on the attempts of his children to walk in his ways by the spirit which he supplies? To express their love of him in their obedience, as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's the same thing that Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's not the foundation of all of our blessing. It's not how the blessing of Abraham comes. There's theological problems. If we miss that, we will lose the gospel. But, we shouldn't conclude from that that there's no blessing in keeping God's law. When you look at God's law carefully, you sit with it, and then you do it, God will bless your obedience. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So if you go and look in the mirror and see yourself, and do nothing, and then leave with that peanut butter still smeared on your face, your hair going every which way, and forget what you saw. You're self-deceived, you're foolish, and you don't understand what mirrors are for. But if you look at it, see what's amiss, wash off the junk, comb your hair, you'll go on your way happy and blessed. So if you come to the Bible, read it, don't just merely think about it and let go in one ear and out the other, but ponder it, meditate on it. You will be blessed. But if you go to the Bible and read it and don't think about it and it just skims past you, and then you go your way thinking you're doing great because I did my devotions this morning 
and I'm such a good person because of it. But you don't believe what it says. You don't live in light of it and repent of your sin and change your life and your behavior. Then you're fooling yourself. So we're called to search the scriptures. Listen to them. Do what they say. And we will be happy and blessed. Apart from Christ, you can do none of this. Apart from Christ, the law will only condemn you. But in Christ Jesus, having been justified by his righteousness, accounted to you by faith alone, having been cleansed and regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as you do the things God's word says, you will be blessed in your doing of them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this plain, straightforward word from you through the mouth and the pen of James. Father, it it seems so obvious. It feels like almost it, it shouldn't even need to be said. It shouldn't need a whole sermon devoted to telling us you can't just read the word. You have to also do what it says. And yet, Father, we are inventive in our rebellion. We come up with theological ways to skirt around this. We come up with foolish practical ways to think we're fine just because we heard a good sermon but we didn't put it into practice. But Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace of Christ that gives us everything we need to be made right with you and to walk in your ways. Thank you for the new heart that you've given us so that we are able to walk in obedience to your commandments the way that you deserve to be treated. Father, we ask that you would use this word of Christ this morning to bring us as your children, to bring Gospel Church as a church into more conformity to your word. Lord, subdue our hearts and gain our obedience. And how kind of you that you have said here in James that you will then bless us for the obedience that you work by your spirit and by your grace in us, that you then reward and bless that obedience. How kind you are, how abundantly you provide everything from start to finish. Father, how we want to obey you, how we want to honor you. Lord, we love you, and as we hear Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Father, our hearts leap. We want to keep Christ's commandments. We want to do what he says. We want to be doers of the words of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would conform us more and more into the image of Christ, and that you would start with this word that we've heard this morning, that we would be doers of the word, diligently so. Father, thank you. Take what's yours, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.